0: Right. And so it's not really like, what do I have to do? Because all those things are already, in my mind, they're already done. It's, do I maintain the same state of being and level of awareness that I have now as I go forward? Mm-hmm.
1: Once upon a time, there were tens of thousands of makers struggling. Every day, they built for hours and hours, but didn't chip and didn't earn enough income. One day, the No Code Wealth podcast and newsletter came to help them find the way. Because of this, makers became founders and earned the money they deserve. Because of this, founders can have growth, freedom, and wealth until tomorrow, No-code becomes the next big skill that changes the future of humanity. That's what I'm all about. Hello, my name is Abdulaziz, and from an ethical hacker to a European Ivy League business graduate, to a hypnotherapist, to a growth marketer, I've lost everything twice. And now I'm rebuilding my life one more time, 1% a day. The No Code Wealth podcast and newsletter are for the makers and founders who have the proactivity, perspective, and persistence to go on this journey with me and get from experts and other makers the answers about money, marketing, and mindsets so that makers become earners, earners become founders, and founders get freedom and create wealth. Our guest today is a real treat. His name is Riley Seberg. And from a combat veteran to being on the advanced team of Governor Cuomo, Riley Seberg is a true marketing expert. What he learned in the Army will help you ship. His marketing insights will help your product market fit. And together, we will discuss the world of no code, as it's something new to him, but very, very exciting. So, hello, Riley. How are you today? I'm doing great, Abdulaziz. How are you? I'm doing fine, enjoying the hope for twenty twenty one and that's enough to sustain a man. So can you tell share with us your story until the point that you came across no code and what was most exciting and valuable to you about this new thing?
0: yeah, I'd love to uh I'm very fascinated with no code just because of <laughs> so so I started my career in C++ and I actually started this in high school in as an introduction to computer science and um it was I always found it interesting because my my teacher he was the physics teacher and he kept telling us that you know what you're learning here is more powerful than what you think like I'm making more money writing little simple programs and applications than I do at my like teaching you this, and he, like you know, he was he was actually the highest paid teacher in the school, which was interesting. And so I, I never was able to kind of shake that thought out of my head. But I, I didn't go to college, right? So I, I I joined the army, and when I joined the army, I I wasn't necessarily a programmer, but I was working with so called no code applications to uh, program basically uh, cannons and howitzers to shoot fire downrange. And so uh, when a call for fire would come in, I would do the calculations and send it down to what we call the gun line and they'd send it off and, you know, help who was in need. And so basically, I, I started with that and kind of, you know, lost my way when I got back from deployment and stuff. But eventually, I started coming to grips with the idea that technology is becoming a thing, like it's already a thing. Uh, we should probably understand it at least a little bit. Uh, And so I I started studying, right, as much as I can. I kind of jumped into VR. I started a podcast called The VR Podcast, and I thought that was going to be where I did everything. But then I realized that there's more to it than this, and a lot of this stuff is actually really practical, right? So as much as there's theory and we all think it's going to change the world, like there are stuff that are out there right now that we can use that can help people. And so my no-code life actually started with Zapier, and just integrating uh, some websites with Zapier and sending the data through to your phone, right? Like, So if you a lead would come in for a real estate agent on their funnel, it would just send the lead information to their phone so they could call it. And so that's kind of like where it started. But I've realized that sometimes that stuff didn't work the way it was supposed to, right? And so I needed to understand a little bit more uh, the backend side of it. And I actually ended up partnering with Facebook to provide API integrations For their ad platform, and so that like that, it kind of shifted into that. But eventually, as my agency kind of grew alongside of that, and what we realized is we're spending a lot of time writing code, and we're spending a lot of man hours uh, writing code, and and it's actually you know really frustrating, especially for programmers to write code because they know how inefficient it actually is. So it's, it's, it's super interesting because now my <laughs> my career has almost come full circle uh, and this no-code thing seems to be uh, just in time for it to take off, which is awesome.
1: That's great. And I, I can imagine that story from your physics teacher being the highest paid person in the school and how in the army you saw the power of no-code type of things, you know, I did my first no code in the 90s and it was called what you see is what you get at the time. Mm -hmm. Yes. So to you, you have this agency and uh, you have worked in many, many, many kinds of domains. What do you think is the importance of product market fit? And is there something missing in the understanding of some makers or founders that Uh, If they got, they will understand how to see and perceive product market fit.
0: Yeah. So I think it comes back to, uh, for me, I always tell my team it comes back to intention, right? So uh, like, especially when we're trying to come up with a new product or service that we offer, we we bring it back to like, okay, besides what we think the market needs, like what's our intention with this? What are we actually trying to do? And so a lot of what we do with our clients is we bring it back to the basics before we even do marketing plans and we work on brands a lot, right? So we we you know talk about the values of the organization, the mission, like what's what's really important, what they're really trying to do in the world. Because when you understand the the big picture of who you are, why you show up the way you do, what you're trying to do in the world and you get a team around that The product kind of finds itself, right? Because you you have a big picture, and that like it's it's not always going to be the one thing, right? So my mentor Tom Billy says uh, you got to have at least twenty things lined up, and you got to be prepared for nineteen of them to fail, right? So product market fit is a good thing to find, but really what you want to do, Seth Godin says, you want to just show up and do the work, right? You want to just make your art, and eventually something you might make might be useful. And so for us as an agency, what we find is a lot of the tooling that we use internally then turns into something that could be offered, right? And so it's 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 not always trying to find product market fit. Like it's that, that intention oftentimes works against you.
1: Okay, so if I understood you correctly, it's about trying more things and letting the marketplace decide the product market fit or what will work. Instead of you going and starting with such a vision that we will build this big thing that will do X, Y, and Z. And like you said, it's about um, doing like 20 things that you're testing in the marketplace and expected that only one of them will work, which is funny because there is in politics and you've been involved in that, there is this thing. Where before you decide on policy, you do kind of signal to the, to the public some things to test their reaction and then based, on, especially if it's going to be something negative that you're afraid of, you test it and then if they react too negatively, you cut it out. <laughs> or if they react positively, then you leave it. And it's, the policy is decided by the people through testing and like sending probes out
0: it's funny that you talk about this because that i actually ran for congress uh this time around in 2020 and part of my camp my my platform was like all of what i do is going to be directed by you right like like i didn't (laughs) i knew i wasn't gonna win but i figured hey like I'm, i'm doing this half the reason i'm in business is actually to give myself a platform to for politics but it's all about that right because for me Like I I literally consider myself of the people, right? And so if you're going to do that, you kind of have to respect people, right? You have to listen to them and you don't really want to force things on them. And the thing about people is, is they like, we all think differently, right? And so we're almost always going to have a different interpretation of the thing that you're trying to give us, right? And so wouldn't it be better if we just told you what we wanted and you kind of listened to that and then did that thing?
1: That's really interesting and takes us into a more philosophical kind of perspective. I remember like more than a year ago, I wrote something about how leadership that is inside people's unconscious today actually doesn't exist. It only exists in Hollywood movies where there is one leader who is working alone and he has no team and he's like, OP'd and he can do whatever he wants, and people cheer when he wins. When in reality, the leader is more of a servant and he needs a team because it's through people that you can have multiplied effect and power that will change the world. It's not one person who comes and changes and saves the day, it's actually one person that facilitates the voices of everyone and their strengths and be the lever that multiplies that into a power that changes the world so to you what is leadership and why is it important in human humanity you know and what is your uh, political perspective that you're trying to have a platform for through your business and marketing and everything you do
0: so it's it's funny that you talk about leadership to me i i (laughs) i say almost every problem is Is a leadership issue, right? Um, And so, whether it's you know somebody leading you incorrectly, you leading somebody incorrectly, or you leading yourself incorrectly, uh, almost everything always comes back to leadership. And so, like I've been studying leadership since I was a kid. I I don't know why, but I just have been. And somebody who I've been studying recently is uh, John Maxwell. And so, when you, you you talked about a lot of his ideas with leadership and and uh, I'm not sure if you read him, but he's, he's really, really good. Cause he kind of breaks these ideas down so that anybody can learn them, especially the idea of like the servant leadership. Right. And so that's a real big thing. Uh, but you also juxtaposition with the th- first th- rule I ever heard about leadership is the definition of it, which is, um, Eisenhower's definition President Eisenhower and he said leadership is the art or of getting somebody to do something you want them to do without telling them to do it right and so one of the best ways to lead is by example because then people will see that you're actually doing it right so that's that's the thing that I've kind of found is leadership to me is always leading yourself first like that's the question of leadership you know what I mean? Like lead yourself first and others will follow. That's kind of how I've always lived my life. And, you know, it I, I wouldn't say it always works, but 90% of the time it, it kind of gets you where you want to go.
1: Yes, it's actually really, really a very important point, especially that people don't realize something about human nature, which is that people actually have resistance to being told what to do. Only in like... Um a dictatorship where somebody has the guns and the power to threaten people and to doing whatever he wants, and still then he doesn't change what's inside them. He cannot change their opinions through force. What you can do is be the shining light, the lighthouse that through your own light that you're shining in in the ocean in the darkness, people will see it, and they will follow that trail. And that leadership is about being kind of a shining star. And since leadership is a passion for you, what important ideas from leadership resonate with you and how can you uh, kind of use them in a way that makers and founders in the no-code space and in the tech startup in general can use the framework and your ideas about leadership to both serve their teams and serve their markets and um, clients in a way that works.
0: So that's 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 a really good question. I like how you wrap it around because that leadership is the the essence of everything that's successful, I would say right And so something that I kind of I think founders kind of get caught up in, especially founders of like small teams, is uh, the fact that like they feel like they shouldn't have to be doing the thing that they're doing. Right, because like, they you know, we you you're a founder. It's like, hey, man, <laughs> like I I have this title, I have this role, and you kind of feel like you shouldn't have to really do the the nuts and bolts work of building the business, right? Like, we kind of feel like we should hire interns or you know, outsource or do bring in other things. And leadership is the thing that kind of gets you through that, right? It it's the thing that gives you the humility to do the things that you don't want to do. Because when you approach everything with a mindset of leadership, and even the most monotonous things become something encouraging, because if you set forth the example of doing the monotonous task, then you are the now the founder that has set forth the example that he's willing or she is willing to do the thing that most people don't want to do in the business. Right. And so one like I, I always say the best way to lead is by example. And so it's it's showing up, it's doing the work, it's staying late, it's it's all the cliches that we know are are true, but it it's more than that. It's believing that what you're doing is valuable, right? And and not pushing it <laughs> on other people, but just showing that you have faith in the work and in that doing that other people will
1: follow. It's amazing that you mentioned that. Because I noticed there is this notion that many, many makers and founders have this imposter syndrome. And you're talking about how to believe in your work, let your work speak for you, know the value of your work, leading not not by forcing people. And I think sometimes it's because of in, the imposter syndrome, people feel the need to try to force their work onto people because just if those people believed a little bit maybe I will not feel like an imposter anymore or something like that can you speak whether you had any experience whether personally or with somebody feeling the imposter syndrome and if not what do you think should be or could be a solution that gives people confidence in their work and believe in what they do?
0: So it's funny you mentioned that. I think imposter syndrome is the phrase of 2020. Um, I think that, first of all, I deal with imposter syndrome every single day uh, because I'm trying to be somebody who I'm not. Right. I'm I know that I every single day I can be a better person than I was yesterday. Right. And I know like the thing like I know when I'm making the wrong decision in the moment that I'm making it. Right. And so for me, imposter syndrome is is that it's it's doing the <laughs> doing the wrong thing, even or doing the thing that you know isn't necessarily true and when you could be doing something else, right? Doing something better. But the thing is, is we're not perfect, right? And if you were perfect, you wouldn't be in this position that you're in, right? And so having that expectation of perfection is A real problem, because especially when it's your project, it's your idea, when you're the leader, when you are responsible for the results, like I deal with this day in and day out, imposter syndrome is the ego, right? It's the insecurities. It's the lack of planning, the lack of preparation, the lack of staying up and making sure that all of the the T's were crossed and the I's were dotted, right? Imposter syndrome is you knowing that you weren't necessarily honest in presenting this and making sure it was getting done. The antidote to imposter syndrome is it knowing you're not going to be perfect, knowing you're going to mess up, but approaching it from the, the mindset of practice, right? This is, this, first of all, this is what you do every day so that you're going to show up, you're going to do it. You, you, <laughs> unless you're going to change careers, this is what you're doing. So you might as well start practicing because you have to practice before you can actually perform right? And if you expect to just perform, you're going to fail almost every single time. And there's always going to be somebody out there that's better than you, because they approach it from the idea of practicing. That's not my idea. That's Seth Godin's new book called The Practice. He just released it, so go buy it.
1: (laughs) Actually, there is a great book called The Practice in Mind, which talks about this exactly by Thomas Turner, which is a book where he talks about learning anything. The way to learn anything well is to not focus on the results. Or as in the, um, in the Gita, they say you have the right to your labor, but you don't have the right to the fruits of your labor. So to me, that's how I approach things. That Yes, all I'm asked is to do the best I can in that moment. And then whatever results will come, it's not under my control. It's stoicism one-on-one. So to you, all this deep stuff. So do you feel, are you a person who believes that whatever you have as your inner landscape, wherever you are in your character and maturity, that will be reflected in your outer world and that whatever results and success you have, that is a direct reflection of who you are inside? Or are you one of those more, pragmatic, because you talked earlier about being practical and that you value practicality. Are you one of those people who says, no, whoever you are inside, just suck it up and do the work and you will get the results. While other people will say when you have the character and maturity, that will make the results more effortless.
0: Yeah. So I think once again, this goes back to intention. Right. And so, every first of all, everybody has a different idea of what they think that is. And so, I would bring it back to Hermeticism 101 and say, as above, so below. Right. Uh, so, but I also am super pragmatic because, you know, I came to this not by way of meditation. Right. Even though meditation is a part of my practice, like I came to this through the military and, you know, through practicality and, and finding things that actually work in real time. And, and, and then iterating off of that. And so I think that each... They're kind of two sides of the same coin, right? And so each place is a good place to start. But if you get too focused on one thing, the coin is going to flip over, right? And so you want to make sure that you're balancing things. But most people don't realize that until they lose it, right? It's until until the plates drop, until they... you know, Life kind of lets them know that you need this balance. And some people are blessed with the fact that they don't necessarily need to work hard right they don't actually have to do so much effort and they kind of do just get things and so we don't really want to discount that but i would say if you're like me (laughs) and you've you know kind of failed at every single thing you've ever tried in life then what you realize is that all you can do is learn from your failures from your mistakes and so it is You taking the time to lay the foundation, whether that's a physical foundation or, you know, an intellectual foundation or, you know, just a a roadmap of your life for the next 20 years. All of this stuff works, right? So I don't don't really want to deny any of it. Like even fitness is a thing where you can find this through.
1: Yeah, it's uh, all our paths that will forge your character. And it reminds me of something that I watched. There was a documentary on Usain Bolt. And there was a scene that was shocking to me where he said, if you do something and you don't find it easy and success comes effortlessly, you're doing the wrong thing. Just stop it and do something else. And I thought that is so discouraging because I always identified myself with in the introductory part of Getting Things Done, David Allen's book. He talks about in Zen, there is this uh, story about three horses that are learning how to dance. The first horse, they just show it and it dances perfectly, very effortlessly and easily. The second horse, just one, you know, smack, it will learn, you know, with a bit of effort. But the third horse, it needs to be every single gesture, it needs to be beat up and painfully learn how to do it perfectly. And then Zen people say that third horse is the best because it learned how to do things properly by millimeter and centimeter and inch by inch it's just pure perfection through pain and i thought <laughs> that is really how the metaphor of life that i have seen so far that we will learn but life is the best teacher that will use what we don't want to make us behave in the way that will make us the person that we should be so that we are proud of who we are if that makes sense uh
0: well first of all i hate that you're calling me a horse because that like
1: (laughs) i'm calling myself a horse
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's how i had to learn every single lesson (laughs) Uh, and you know it's funny because i completely agree you know i had the thought in my head be like water right um like first of all, this, this thing is really, really hard for a lot of people to understand. And so I, th- I think like founders will kind of get it. People that are listening and that are in the no code community, because they like, this is, this is something that almost everybody has to learn. Right. It's like, if you understand something, if you, if you really want to understand it, you have to kind of tear yourself inside out to, to really get inside of it. Right. And, and th- that's if you really want to truly master something, right? And so anybody who's ever mastered anything, like, you know, they talk about 10,000 hours, five years. Well, that that's a lot of your life that you're spending to kind of study something. Right. And so that's really the only way to find out how something works is to get inside of it, to examine the nuts and bolts. But when you do like you give up so much, right? And so, you you, you literally, there are parts of your life that wither away because you have to get so granular with this thing that you're trying to do, right? And so you kind of want to be like water when you're doing this because <laughs> a lot of this stuff that you're going to do is going to be absolutely a waste of time, right? But it's only a waste of time if you're looking for the results. If you approach it from a practice, then you realize that, that waste of time was actually you finding, like Thomas Edison said, 10,000 ways not to make a light bulb. And when you know that, then when you go on later on in your career, when somebody brings up an idea that you know for a fact is absolutely not possible or won't work because you've tried it before, you can actually have evidence to give forward. Right. And so it's, it's understanding that the things that we're going through now will serve us if we make the choice for them to do
1: so. Yeah, it reminds me. I mean, it's beautiful discussion we're having now, and it's uh, it's moving more towards the philosophical side, which I love. And it reminds me of uh, Ayn Rand's uh, objectivism, where she argues that the creators, the people that should, you know, the way that people should be, is first-handers, which means that they experience and learn. From their direct experience, what works and what doesn't work, rather than from what other people tell them. Because sometimes it's like um, each person that is receiving that secondhand information will somewhat dilute it or modify it. And in the end, you have myths and limitations that are inside cultures just based on nobody being in touch with reality, but everybody just getting handed down a set of rules that they never tested. And that is really a big limiting factor in life. I believe that. And what you said right now really reminded me that you were saying it, this same thought in other words. I mean, do you want to add something? Or I have a final question that I prepared that I want to ask you. So do you have anything to add to this first?
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think I would just say that the, the more we talked about this, the more I've realized that like the no code idea of making something is the ultimate out of the box move. Right. And so it's, it's the ultimate way of getting firsthand knowledge of something that isn't necessarily traditional. Right. And so you like, you can kind of find product market fit by using no code to make a bunch of different applications and, Present it to a market, right, and then you get that first hand uh information reaction based off of people instead of like just trying to throw it at, at the wall and see what sticks right so I think that this no code thing is a really 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 big opportunity. I know personally I've been playing with it in like Google App sheet, you know <laughs> it's a really cool thing it's yeah. very awesome, and you don't need to know how to program to use it and I mean, I can see businesses being started just off of that, that probably grow to seven, eight figures, maybe nine figures just off of no code.
1: Yes, I believe honestly. And what I'm about really is giving, stacking the deck in favor of the underdogs of the small guys, because for way too long, life has been like some oligarchies that have moats around them and they're protecting their own territory and putting black boxes everywhere and all that and making the learning curve of things way too high for enough people to get in their hands the tools to build and create in this universe. And no code gives any person in this world with an idea and, you know, the willingness to learn a little bit, not as much like all those years of hard work to become a real coder and I began coding with Pascal in 1998 and then Objet Pascal in French is called which is Delphi the software and it's really really frustrating and inefficient like you said but no code gives you the goodness without the the suffering so that you can get more ship more ship more ship more more, and see what happens
0: yeah I mean I like just to jump in there real quick anybody who's starting their business in no code is already ahead of the game right it's because like just because of the fact that it saves you time uh and and that right there gives you the ability to iterate faster than somebody who's doing the same thing as you but writing code and then also you don't have the ideology that programmers typically have when they're doing things and you know what i'm talking about
1: well i'm trying there is a Uh, no code hater coder you know programmer that i'm trying to get to (laughs) to interview i don't know whether it will be suitable because maybe he'll say things that that will be too harsh but yeah there is some guy that i'm familiar with it's not like a friend or something but who i call the no code hater so we will see (laughs) whether his ideology what it's specifically about and my final question to you which is a very good question that I think it's important to reflect who you are in this world. If we were having this discussion five years from today and you are looking back over those five years, what has to have happened in your life, both personally and professionally, for you to feel happy with your progress, Riley?
0: So this is a good question. <laughs> this is a great question. Um well, I I got engaged recently. So, I would say that I hopefully by this time 5 years from now I'm married to my fiance, uh Chelsea, if you're listening to this. Hopefully well, we're married.
1: <laughs> um, well, yeah.
0: You know, it's funny cuz we think about material things and we think about like milestones and goals and all that type of stuff and you know, I have a bunch of that in my head like all these numbers I want to hit, but really I want to be just as alive and hopeful and aspirational about life and the opportunities that I have as I am today, right? I want to I want to be as grateful uh, to be alive as I am right now in this moment, right? Because if that is true, then that means that my life hasn't been taken off track and I'm still in route to where I'm supposed to go. Right. And so it's not really like, what do I have to do? Because all those things are already in my mind, they're already done. It's do I maintain the same state of being and level of awareness that I have now as I go forward? Or does it increase? You know, that's the stuff that I'm interested
1: in. I love it. I have this principle in life that I want to have more dreams than memories. And I think this short thing is what you said right there, to feel alive, to have that passion and enthusiasm for life, and uh, I think that's what really matters because life is not about collecting things or toys. It's about who you are, who you become, and that energy that you feel in every second and every moment.
0: Yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I want the toys. You know, I, I have so, the toys. Yeah. I like the toys. But what, something I recognize because I've had the toys before is. If you don't put in the work to earn the toys and you just go out and get the toys, especially now we live in a credit economy, if you just go out and get the toys, they're going to fall by the wayside and it's going to be harder for you to get the toy
1: the next time. Yes, absolutely correct. Well, this is a very, very, you know, interesting discussion. We can do it forever, but we want, you know, respecting your time and the listeners. If people want to hear more from you, to know more about you, to know your work, Where can they find you? Where can they know more about you? Where can they get in touch if they wish to?
0: So uh, if you're interested in agency services for your company, marketing, advertising services, go to hammersportmarketing.com. If you want to just get in touch with me, you can follow me on Twitter at Riley Seberg. And I also have a website, RileySeberg.com.
1: Well, very nice. I wish you a, a great day. And to every single one of our listeners, so goodbye. <music>